My name is Alex DeRosa. I'm one of our pastors here at New Life. In fact, in January of 24, I'll be our lead pastor. But right now, we are in part 15 of a series called Mountain Monologues. Before we get into that, if you are a first-time guest here today, I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you for coming, for investing some of your time with us today. We've been praying and planning for your arrival today. If you heard that we're in part 15 and felt overwhelmed, like, oh man, do you need all the other 14 before you listen to this one? Well, no, we're going to jump right in. You'll be able to understand this message. But I do encourage you, whether this is your first time here or, or maybe you just missed, you're on vacation for a couple weeks or whatever, you didn't get the whole series of mountain monologues, I encourage you to go to our app or, or on the website and check them out because what we're doing is looking at the Sermon on the Mount. It was this time where Jesus got up on a very real mountain in Israel and spoke to this large crowd that had gathered. But in that crowd, there were his disciples, and he was specifically instructing his disciples on how to live. And by doing this, and now that it's recorded by his disciple Matthew, he's instructing us as well and teaching us how we can experience God fully on this earth. And today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. And in this portion, Jesus talked about prayer. And it's so important that Jesus not only talked about prayer earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Pastor Barry shared about when Jesus said, when you pray, and he talked about the Lord's Prayer, but Jesus then circles back around to it here just because it's essential for our lives. And as I look at my life, there has been nothing that has changed my life as much as prayer has. When I started to have a continual prayer routine of going to God, listening and speaking to him, it has dramatically altered my life. But that wasn't always the case. I remember my earliest prayers were before I was in a relationship with God, I would just pray to God whenever I was in need. It was like my last resort. It was whenever I was really sick, I would just say, God, please, if you're there, please help me to feel better. I'll do anything. It was those moments where you're like kind of bargaining. I will follow you with my whole entire life. And then immediately when I felt better, I was like, oh, cool. I can forget about God and continue going. It's not a good thing, but it's how I interacted with God. Because I used to think of him as kind of like a genie. I don't know if you've ever seen Aladdin, but I thought maybe like he would just come down from heaven whenever I needed something fulfill whatever need I had, and then after I was done, not bother me and just go back up to heaven and not require anything, which is kind of foolish. I wasn't following God. I wasn't serving him, but I was hoping that he would just come down and do whatever I had asked. And then I even had the audacity to get angry with him when I didn't get everything that I desired. Thankfully, over the years, as I've gotten to know God and I've gotten to understand prayer more, I've learned a little bit more about what prayer is supposed to be. And I wanted to share this with you today. You see, God doesn't want prayer to be our last resort, not only our last resort. He designed it to be a well-worn path to the throne room of God. He wants it to be something where we go to him first, not last, not when everything else stops working, but he wants it to be a well-worn path to the throne room of God. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe that path is overgrown. Maybe you've never walked it actually before. You don't know really where it is. Or maybe it is well-worn that you go over and over. You don't even need to weed it because you just your, your feet, you're just making that a nice path to the throne room every time. Well, regardless of where you're at, Today, what I want to do is help us understand why we're called to pray, what the purpose is, and how we can apply it to our lives. Before we get into that, would you please pray with me? Dear God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for giving us the gift of prayer. 
for helping us to know you and giving us this opportunity to come to know you. God, no matter where we're at right now, where, uh, what our background is, or maybe this is the first time we're hearing about talking to you or whatever it is, God, I pray that you'll use this as an opportunity to get me out of the way and allow your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts today so we can leave this place more closer to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So prayer as we understand it now was not always how God's people knew it. Before Jesus came to this earth, the Jewish people had this custom. Once a year, the high priest, who was the leader of the temple, the leader of really the, the spiritual guidance of God's people, once a year would go into a room in the temple. It was called the Holy of Holies. And when he went in there, he would bring up all of the prayer requests from the people, all the sins, and he would ask God to forgive everyone's sins from their community. When the high priest did this, they tied a rope around his waist just in case, just in case he saw the face of God and dropped dead because of the power of God. That's serious. That's why he would have this rope around his waist, that they knew that because of our sin, we couldn't approach God. And so if God revealed his face to us, that high priest might drop dead. You see, that's why sin, sin stops us from going to God. God is perfect. And with our sin, we can't completely go into his presence. And this is why it's so important that Jesus came. Because when Jesus came to this earth, he took all of our sins to God, very much like a high priest, but Jesus is the ultimate high priest. Because when he went to God, he asked for forgiveness for all of our sins, and it worked once and for all, for everyone's sins. And he died and came back. And now all that God requires of us is to simply give our lives over to Jesus as Lord and Savior. We're to receive this gift of forgiveness. And when that happens, our sins are removed, we're washed clean, we're made new, and we get to approach God boldly. We get to go to the throne room of God as he designed for us to go so that we can get to know him so we can pray. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most." You and I, we can come boldly into the throne room of the God of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And this is a big deal because the, in the biblical times, when there was a king, you could not just approach that king whenever you wanted. You couldn't just walk into the, the throne room whenever you felt like it, when you had a need. You had to be invited by the king. If you just barged in there, you could be killed. And so what, what we're told here, what Jesus did is allowed us free entry to the throne room whenever we want. Why? Because we're just not anyone. When we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are his children. So Jesus made a way for us to go whenever we want, whenever we, we want to go and speak to the God of the universe, we can because of his sacrifice on the cross. And so Jesus, while he was on that mountain, when he was talking to the people, he talked about prayer again in the, he talked about how we should pray and the Lord's prayer. And then he circled back and he started in Matthew chapter seven, verses seven through eight. And that's where we're gonna start today. If you have your Mountain Monologues booklets, it's on page 45. Otherwise it's on the screen. Jesus said this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and the one seeking finds, and to the one knocking it will be opened. Ask, seek, and knock. When Jesus said those words, he was referring to prayer all three times. All three of those are metaphors for prayer. Ask, seek, knock. Asking makes sense. It's the obvious one. We go and we ask God. But seeking and knocking also point us to prayer. In fact, in the rabbinic teachings, the Jewish rabbis would use, and we know this still because we found some of the, the writings where they use knocking as a metaphor for prayer. So Jesus is simply saying, pray, pray, pray. And in the Greek, ask, seek, knock are present imperatives, which all that means is that they are to be ongoing, that we are to continually do them. So therefore, we could translate what Jesus said this way. Keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and it will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps on asking will continually receive. And he who keeps on seeking will continually find. And to him who keeps on knocking, it will be opened. To keep doing it. Continually pray. And there will be a blessing when we do that. Unfortunately, as people, we give up. We sometimes try to pray, but then we feel weird. Is this working right? Am I saying the right things? I don't even know what to do. And, and it's been a long time, hasn't it? We look, it's like 30 seconds. We're like, all right, we know it. I got to do stuff. And then we end the prayer and we go on. But what Jesus is saying is that it's supposed to be something that we continually do. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing, without ceasing to ongoing have this prayer communication with God. You see, knowing God takes faith, focus, and follow through. All three, faith, focus, and follow through. And Jesus assured us that when we persist in our pursuit of God, there will be a blessing, that we will get to know and have this relationship with this God of the universe, and it will grow this relationship. And so as we talk about prayer, we got to understand and remember just a little bit about what he said last time regarding prayer. When he talked about the Lord's Prayer, Jesus assuredly would have known that we, uh, the listeners would have remembered when we pray, we're supposed to say, your will be done or God's will be done and not just our own. And so as we talk about prayer, let's keep that in our mind. And this is our take-home point. It's the one point this message is pointing towards that we can live out in our life ahead. And it's this, when our hearts are aligned with God's will, will want what he wants. When our hearts are aligned with God's, we'll know better what to ask for and it'll make more sense why we must go to God in prayer. And so let us align ourselves with who God is. So Jesus talked about prayer on the Sermon on the Mount, but he talked about it later on as well. His disciple Matthew recorded it in Matthew 21, 22, that Jesus said, you can pray for anything and if you have faith, you will receive it. This might lead us to believe that prayer is kind of like a blank check, that whatever we want would just come true because Jesus said that if you pray for anything and if you have faith, you receive it. But remember, Jesus wants us to pray your will and not our will. You see, Jesus assumed we'd have the right motives when asking God for things, that we'd have the motives that God has because we'd be aligned with his heart. This is important. Jesus' brother, James, talked about prayer as well. And he talked about what happens when we don't get what we ask for. Because there are those times, we can probably all think of them, where we have asked God for something and it hasn't happened. Why doesn't it always happen? James told us this, and when you ask, 
You don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Jesus isn't in the business of just giving us whatever pleasure we want. He's in the business of helping us become his perfect children, of refining us and shaping us and molding us into who he created us to be, because that's what's best for us, to live this abundant life that he has for us. And our motives are aligned with God's heart when we remember that God doesn't exist for our purpose. We exist for his. We are here for his glory and not for ours. See, so far we've been talking about why we must pray. When we understand that God is the most powerful being in the universe, that he created us, he created everything, and he died and rose again for us to have life, not only right now, but eternally, it becomes pretty easy why we should pray, why we should go to that powerful God of the universe. But the question we're going to tackle for the rest of our time here is why do we not pray as much as we should? As much as we ought to. We kind of can rationalize, yeah, it makes sense to pray, but why do we not do it as often as we ought to? Well, there's three things that I can think of, and there might, I'm sure there's more, but there's three that we're going to talk about today. And the first reason, why don't we pray as often as we should? First one is we aren't confident that prayer works. We aren't confident prayer works. If we were 100% confident that prayer is always going to work, that God hears us and he responds, we would do it more often. Unfortunately, sometimes when God does answer our prayers, we forget about it because we're busy. We move right on to the next thing. God responds and he heals us when we're sick and we wake up one day and we're just feeling better, so we go about our days. But God does answer prayers today. I was in Israel a few months ago and I was convicted of this while I was there. Convicted of the fact that I kept asking God for things and I wasn't stopping enough to praise him for the times he answers prayers. So I got a journal out that I had and I started to write down, I wrote it. Uh, The headline was, or the header, the headline, the header was Holy Spirit Moves, the time where I felt the Holy Spirit move in my life. And I just started to write down things that I could remember that happened recently. I wrote down how my Uncle Mike came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior right before he died. I wrote down how Ezra trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior recently. I wrote down how last year I really struggled because my, my relationship with my brother was not going well, and I prayed over and over that he would heal that relationship. And now we have a great relationship, so I praise God for that. And I went through even small stuff, like, hey, that day where I was in the car about to go to New Life, and someone texted and said, hey, I can't make that funeral today. And I looked down, and I was wearing a t-shirt and shorts, and I went, oh, I should probably dress for a funeral. And I thanked God for that, for moving in small ways and in big ways. And when I remember what God has done, when I remember that God still answers prayers, it helps me to confidently pray for the things he puts on my heart. So I want to encourage you to do the same thing. To find a notebook or go on your phone and, and write a list down, pray through it and say, God, remind me of the times you've answered prayers. And if you can't think of any right now, just start doing that going forward. When God answers something that you ask for, and it takes reflection to notice those things. It takes reflection to go, what did I pray for yesterday? What did I pray for last week? We write it down. And then whenever that doubt starts to creep in, and it does, the enemy starts to put that bug in our ears saying, does prayer really work? Is God still listening? Does he listen to you? Whenever that doubt starts to come in, we can turn, of course, to the word of God and hear what it says, but we can also go to our prayer journal and say, yep, God's still moving today. He's still listening. He's still answering prayers right now, and it'll give us that faith to pray big, bold prayers, and that's what we're called to do. 
James, the brother of Jesus, once again talked about prayer in James chapter 5. He talked about the prophet Elijah and the kind of prayers that Elijah prayed. He said, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Elijah, normal guy, prayed big, bold prayers. God heard and he answered. And what does James tell us? We could do the same thing, that the same God that responded to Elijah is the same God that we serve today. And he's still moving today, still doing miracles today. He's still answering prayers today. So let us go confidently to God, knowing that he answers us. So why don't we pray? We don't pray because we're not confident it works, but it does work. God's still moving today. Let's remind ourselves of that fact. Why else don't we pray? The second reason, the results aren't always evident immediately. We don't always see the results right away. And that sometimes discourages us. I know it does for me. One thing that has helped me out understanding why things don't happen in my timing was a writing by C.S. Lewis. He's one of the greatest Christian writers of all time. And, and he thought of God this way. He said, God's kind of like a person looking at a piece of paper that a line is drawn on. If you're looking at that line, you see where it starts, you see where it goes on, and you see where it ends. You see the entirety of that line. But us, as people, we are on that line. So we don't know when it started. We don't know when it ends. We, don't, we, we weren't there. We know where we're at right now. We can kind of remember where we were, and we have a fuzzy idea of what might be coming next. But really, it's all about where we are right now. God knows all of it. He knows what's best for us and when things are best for us. And so sometimes the prayer is delayed. Sometimes the answers are delayed, rather, that God's saying not yet because his timing's better and he knows what we don't know. For example, when I got out of college, I immediately started to pray for a wife. I wanted one right away. I had some other friends that got married and I was like, I wanna get married too, that sounds great. So I started praying over and over and over and I was desperate, which is like the worst way to enter the, the dating scene is desperation, you pick the wrong people. But I was just, I want a wife right now, right now. And I started getting frustrated with God because I dated people, it didn't work. I was like, God, why have you not brought a wife? I'm praying, it's a good thing. You've put it on my heart. It's a good thing to be married. Why, why don't I have one yet? Two years after I graduated college, I met Rachel, who I then dated and, and eventually married. And I'm so thankful that God waited. Why? Because whenever I first got out of college, I started praying that prayer over and over and over. I probably prayed at Thorn College too, honestly. But while I was praying, my wife was in high school. My first job out of college was as a youth pastor. I was working with high schoolers. So if God would have introduced me to my wife at that point, we would not have gotten married. We wouldn't, I wouldn't even have looked at her as a potential wife because she would have been a student. Like, oh, that's cool, that's a student. And then I would have been like, all right, God, bring me, bring me my wife. So God waited. He was patient. He knew when the timing was best. So after she graduated, she was in college, that is when we met and started dating and got married. Listen, what I'm trying to say is delay is not denial. There are times where God delays, but it's not necessarily a denial. Maybe there's something on your heart right now that you're asking God for. You're saying, please just give it to me right now. Why aren't you? Maybe it's making you frustrated, but listen, God knows what's best for us and when it's best. So in the meantime, while we're waiting, while sometimes we get frustrated, let's instead just focus on him. Let's chase after God in his heart. Let's ask him to turn us into his perfect child as he desires to do. 
And as we continue to be transformed into the image of God's child as one of his children, let us just trust that he knows what's best for us. And while we do that, let's have the perspective of that this, we are here, we talked about already, for God. He's not here for us. And so he will reveal this to us because he loves us. Psalm 100, verse 3, King David told us this, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He knows what we need better than we do. He knows what's best for us. We're the sheep. He's a shepherd. He's the one who takes care of us. It's his throne room that we're supposed to make a well-worn path to. He is God. We are not. So let us trust and rely on him. Jesus, in that Sermon on the Mount, continued talking about prayer in verses 9 and 10. He said, And which man of you whose son asks him for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. Now, this might sound kind of like gibberish, but the people that were in Israel were listening to this would have understood immediately what Jesus was saying. They knew that there were some stones, and there's a lot of stones in Israel that look like a loaf of bread. In fact, a few months back when we were in Israel, Pastor Chris took a picture of some stones, and one of them I think does look like kind of like a burnt piece of bread because that one in the middle, like that's what loaves of bread look like. And so you can imagine someone in Israel walking past and be like, man, I'm hungry. That kind of looks like some bread. And so Jesus said that because they would have understood that. And when does a fish kind of look like a snake? For us, that's kind of hard to picture. But in the Galilee, there was this eel-like catfish named the Clarius Lazira, and it looked like a snake. It's kind of gross looking. You can look it up if you want to. But it would have registered in the minds of the Israelites as they heard what God was saying, as, as those that were listening to the Sermon on the Mount. And they would have understood what Jesus was trying to tell us, which is this. No good dad would answer his child's request for food with useless or even harmful substitutes. God's not a trickster. He's not here to trick us. If you've prayed for something and you're waiting for it, it might be, but he's just saying not yet because his timing is better. He's not trying to pull one over on you. He's not a trickster. He wants good things for you. He's a good father. So let's trust in him. So why don't we pray as often as we ought to? Well, maybe it's because we aren't as confident in prayer as we should be because prayer does work. Or maybe it's that It hasn't happened yet, but God's still working and his timing is best. The third reason why we don't always pray as as much as we should, we don't always want what we get or get what we want. We don't always want what we get or get what we want. Sometimes we get things that we just didn't ask for and don't desire. Sometimes we go through a really challenging season. But at times, God uses those challenging seasons for his glory. There's times where God is going to allow us to go through something difficult so that he is glorified, so that while we walk through that, people on the outside see our lives and go, why do you have peace? Why are you patient? Why do you have joy right now? That's all crumbling, and we can point to God, and he's glorified. Sometimes it's so that other people can be helped by us. Once we exit that time of turmoil and we see someone else going through the same thing, we go, hey, God... God walked through me during that same exact thing, and we can glorify God through that. I had a friend who passed away years ago of cancer, a godly woman, and it wasn't until after the fact that I realized, oh, wow, like God used her life and her 
testimony and her pain to help people through this whole process. So many people knew and heard about Jesus through her life and her death and her funeral that God was glorified. Why else? Sometimes we don't get what we want because God is wanting to help refine us into the image of his child. God uses difficult things to help us grow. You see, comfort rarely causes the kind of growth that helps us resemble Jesus. Comfort doesn't turn us into the people that he's designed us to be. Hardship often does. It creates character in us and it helps us grow. So sometimes we don't want what we get, but other times we don't get what we want. And why is that? I believe that's because God's a good father. I've been learning this with my own children. I love saying yes to my boys. I love it. It's great. The boys are constantly asking for things. The youngest one just cries when he's asking, but the other two are old enough to say, can I have, I want this, please. And sometimes I say yes. And I love that because they come up to me, they have big smiles, they give me a hug. And immediately I'm like a superhero. I'm like on the same level of coolness as Batman or Chase from Paw Patrol or Sonic the Hedgehog. They just think I'm great. But when I say no, it's almost like, we don't have a dog, but it's almost like I kicked their dog. Like they are just miserable. Their faces drop and, and they think that I, I just, just don't like them anymore. It could be something as simple as, as they're asking to watch another TV show when it's way past his bedtime. I got to say no, because I know that sleep is better for him, even when he's disappointed. And if Joel comes up to me after not finishing his meal and asks for some chocolate, I got to say no, because eating healthy is better for him and he needs to learn that habit, even though he leaves disappointed. Because as a father, sometimes we know what's best when our kids don't. You see, my kids are smart. I believe God has given them great intellect, but they're so ignorant to so much because they just don't know. One's five, one's three, and the other one's measured in weeks. Like they just don't know what they don't know. And they don't know where I've been as well. The same is true with our relationship with God. He's gifted us with intelligence. He's gifted us with minds that can think and rationalize like his. It's a huge blessing. It's one of the things that sets us apart as his children that he designed in his image. But we're also ignorant to the things that he knows. He knows, again, when things started and when things end. He knows all of it. He's yesterday, today, and tomorrow simultaneously. He has all power. All authority is his. And so when we don't know, he surely does know. So there's times where he says no to us because he wants what's best for us. Again, he's not trying to come after us, but he wants what's best for us. I'm so thankful the times that I was asking for a wife right after college and the times I dated someone, even though God was telling me, I'm sure he was, to wait, that he said no to those relationships. There's times where a girlfriend would break up with me and I'd cry out to God, please, she's the perfect one for me. You need to bring her back. Please, like I'll do anything. You just bring her back into my life. And he said no. And I was so frustrated. And it's funny looking back at that now. I can make fun of myself because I didn't know what God knew. I didn't know that Rachel was right around the corner. In fact, there was a girl like uh, two girlfriends before Rachel that was also named Rachel. And I think that's a fun fact. My wife doesn't. Um, she doesn't think... <laughs> But like one of those things, maybe I was listening, but I was hearing wrong. Uh, but I'm glad God said no, because if he had said yes, I wouldn't have Rachel as my wife or my three boys. I'm glad he said no. I don't know how often we say that prayer. Thank you, God, for saying no. Thank you for keeping me from that harm. Thank you for keeping me from that temptation, keeping me from that bad relationship, whatever it is. And why? Because we just don't know. But there's times where God says no to keep us from things. So during those, let's 
trust in him. Let's give our trust to him. Let's say, God, your will be done. If it's not my will, that's okay. I want your will to be done because I know you want what's best for us. In Matthew 7, verse 11, Jesus ended this focus on prayer in this this time. He said, therefore, you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See, Jesus, again, is a good father. He knows what we need better than we do. He doesn't always give us what we want, but he gives us what we need. He's a great and amazing father. Pastor Barry, a couple weeks ago, helped us understand that the Jewish people didn't often refer to God as father. God did say that the Israelites were his children, but still the Jewish people didn't have that kind of in their their language. They didn't refer to God that way. So Jesus went to great lengths in the Sermon on the Mount trying to help us understand that that's precisely the kind of relationship that God wants with us. He wants to be our father and us to be his children. When we trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we become adopted into his family. We have this opportunity to go to his, his throne room. He is a good father. And although that is true, I do want to point out that there are those, I'm sure right here in this room, that have a hard time with this image of God. Maybe you didn't have a great relationship with your father growing up. Maybe you still don't. Maybe it never manifested into something that God wanted for your life because he does want us to have good earthly fathers as well. This author, Wesley Hill, helped me understand this this dilemma. He said, any picture of God as father that leads us to think in terms of domination and cruelty rather than of humble service and unending love is not a true understanding of the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. You see, saying God as our father isn't just a helpful metaphor to help us understand God. It's who he is. He is the great, amazing, perfect father. And as fathers on this earth, our job is to resemble him. It's not that he resembles fathers on this earth. We are meant to resemble him. He is the standard bearer, which we must strive to be like as fathers. Unfortunately, there's too many fathers on this earth that more resemble the devil than they do God. But make no mistake, that doesn't take away or detract from the fact that God is the perfect father. And that he loves you, not because of what you've done or what you will do, but because he loves you and he made you and he designed you and you are his. He sent Jesus to die on the cross while we were still sinners, before we even took a breath, before we had done anything. We could never earn his love. He just gives it to us because he's the perfect father who desires to give us good gifts. That's what Jesus just said. Our God desires to give us good gifts. What are these good gifts? Well, in the book of Luke, Luke records that Jesus talks about how one of these good gifts is the Holy Spirit. When Jesus died and rose again and then ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came into this world. And I guess the Holy Spirit was always moving in different people throughout history. But whenever we trust in Jesus, Lord and Savior, we immediately get the Holy Spirit that comes into our life and he is a gift. He produces wonderful fruit like joy and love and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit also comes on us when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he gives us good gifts. Some of these gifts are like leadership or prophecy and healing, and we still see these gifts being enacted in the world today. 
A few weeks ago at New Life Students, we had a missionary come out and share it with us. His name is Jared Lenhart, and he's in Southeast Asia. And he talked about how the Holy Spirit is still moving today, that he's gotten to witness healings and demon-possessed people having those demons kicked out of them and people talking in tongues and, and people prophesying and then seeing that stuff happen and come true. God is still moving. The Holy Spirit has not been taken from us. He has not been rescinded. He is still alive and well, and he wants to do more through us than we can think or imagine. Henry Blackaby in the book, Experiencing God, says that the gift, sure, all of those other things are cool. Healing, all that stuff, and leadership is great. But the true gift is simply the Holy Spirit who desires to live with us and guide us every step of the way. So we get this beautiful gift from our good Father. We get these spiritual gifts. But Jesus also reminded us that we get material gifts as well. Pastor Kristen did a great job a couple weeks ago talking about why we must not worry Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that we must not worry about what we eat or the clothes we wear. Why? Because he has us. He has it under control. He knows what we need and he wants to fulfill that in our lives, even in the material ways. Pastor Barry, in the Sermon on the Mount message about the Lord's Prayer, talked about how God or Jesus reminded us to pray, thank you, God, for our daily bread, material things. And in Psalm 23, verse 1, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. God cares for our needs, cares for you. He wants you in a relationship with him. He wants us as his children. But let's remember, this well-worn path of prayer to his throne room is not only supposed to be a to-do list or a quest line. What he wants is a relationship with us. A couple weeks ago, I got the pleasure of being at Lux Digital Church when they were commissioning a couple guys to go on a mission trip. And, and as I was there, I got to hear Pastor Mark share a message on prayer. And he shared this wonderful illustration that I wanted to share with you today. He said in his relationship with his two daughters, they both, the relationship started with questions. Dad, can I have, or maybe dad, I want, or dad, can you get? And that was their communication. They were simply asking questions and he would fulfill that. But as they have grown, the communication has become more of a conversation. And he recalled the time where he's at night with Brooklyn, his oldest, and she tells him about her day, what she learned, what she liked. And in that, we see the kind of relationship that God wants for us. I love that illustration. I see it with my own boys, but I've also seen it in my relationship with God. You see, God doesn't want only a to-do list from us. He wants a relationship. He wants to hear all of it from you. He doesn't only want the, the to-do list stuff. He, of course, he wants to hear the, the cares of your heart, but he also wants the joys. He wants to know about your day and how you're doing. He wants to converse with you, and he wants to talk with you as well. He wants it to be a conversation. His communication is not just a request line. It's a way that we can go to God and get to know him as our heavenly father. So this week, how do we apply that practically? Well, we can do this with our next step, which says, I will praise God and submit myself to him before asking for things this week. Praising God, submitting before we ask. That doesn't mean we don't ask. We can still ask God for things. He cares about what we care about. He wants to take care of us. But before we do that, let's praise God. In the book, The Hour That Changes the World, Dick Eastman wrote about how if we begin our time in praise, it'll shift our focus from ourselves to God. It'll help us to understand the priorities that we really must have if we are to live a life by his will and not ours. And so I've adopted this. It has radically changed my prayer life. There are still days, mind you, that I wake up with a list of needs or wants or desires or whatever. 
But the days where I start with submitting, saying, God, I submit to you as your son, Jesus as your subject and your disciple, Holy Spirit as your servant, and then I praise God for whatever, my family, my wife and my kids, or for the beautiful weather, or for the fact that my birthday fell last week specifically on my day off. What a wonderful blessing. And also just for the fact that I could squeeze in and talk about my birthday real quick in a message. I just, I like to thank God for things. And then after I do that, it makes me more confident to pray for the things that he puts on my heart. Because I know, I'm remembering, oh man, God, you're in control. You've done amazing things. You're gonna continue to do amazing things. So let us praise, praise him and let us submit to him. And then let us, let us ask for the things that are on our heart. Let us make that path a little bit more well-worn this week to the throne room of the God of the universe who is our father who created us. If you're here today and you've never walked into that throne room, you've never entered into that relationship with God that he desires for you to have, that he desperately wants you to have, that he sent Jesus to die and rise again so you can have this relationship. Well, here at New Life, we say it's as simple as A, B, and C. To do that, we must first admit that we're sinners, that we fall short. We don't know everything. We don't get everything right. But he, Jesus, the Son of God, is our rescuer from sin and death. He came to remove sin from us so that we can enter into God's presence without that sin holding us back. We also believe, we believe that God is the one true God, the only God of the universe, and that Jesus is his one and only son who came, died, and rose again for you and me. We believe in him as our Lord, our master, our owner, our God. And we also confess our sins, and he'll forgive us. And then when we confess our sins, we also commit to living our life, not by ourselves, but with the gift of the Holy Spirit. He can guide us, he wants to guide us, and comfort us, and counsel us, and do more in us than we can think or imagine. So right now, if you've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'm gonna say a prayer. Prayer to give our lives over to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And I'm gonna pray as if I were you and I encourage you to pray the prayer with me, to make it your own in your own heart and your own mind. Now this isn't something that your parents can do for you or someone else can do or you get into heaven because you, you did enough good things. This is simply the way that Jesus made for us. That we go and say, all right, my life is laid down for you. Be my Lord and Savior. So let's go in prayer. Dear God, right now, I pray that you will hear the prayer of anyone that doesn't yet know you as Lord and Savior as we say this prayer. Dear God, I believe you are the one true God that your son Jesus Christ came and died and rose again for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins and bring me into your family. Holy Spirit, fill me up right now and move me today and every day. Pray this in Jesus' name. And dear God, I pray for all of us. Whatever it is you have us doing this week, I pray that we will pray during every situation. We'll ask, seek, knock. We'll pray, pray, pray. We will follow you and your will and not ours. God, be in control as you are the one that knows all of it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.